You know, we sing the songs of heaven. In some ways, it's like we're there. We're just worshiping and singing about his holiness. Well, I had an experience this past week that I'd love to share with you. Um, On Tuesday, one of our dear friends, a part of our church family, Judge Ken Starr, went to be with Jesus. And um, it is a loss. It's a loss for us. It's a loss for Alice, his wife of 50 years, his sons and daughters and grandchildren. Uh, But it's also a moment of celebration for the death of his godly ones, his beautiful in God's sight. Uh, I woke up at uh, 3.05 in the morning. We knew that uh, Ken was uh, passing somewhere in the next 24 hours. And I woke up at 3.05 a.m. And uh, I don't know what happens to you at 3.05 a.m., but my deal is the Lord put me back to sleep. And uh, I laid there for about 10 minutes or so. And I was peaceful, but I knew that I wasn't going back to sleep. So then you get up and you say, Lord, is there anything I need to know? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me so beautifully. A star is passing. I'm bringing Ken home right now. And I began to thank God for Ken's life. I began to thank God for his faithfulness that if we trust in him, we have an eternal home. I began to thank God for Alice and ask for God's comfort over her, over Cameron and Carolyn and their children who are part of our church family and his other son and daughter and their grandkids. I just had a beautiful moment of rejoicing and praising God. Well, later that morning, I don't know, around 8 or 9 a.m., I get a text from Carolyn. and She said, Dad passed in the night. He went to be with Jesus at 3.55 a.m. Isn't that amazing? It's just so beautiful that God sees and God knows, and then God lets us in on what he's doing the beauty of salvation, the beauty of eternity, and in the midst of the pain and the loss that the Star family is experiencing. And we want to invite you. You're welcome to join us this weekend. We'll be doing a memorial service on Saturday at 3 p.m. if you'd like to be a part of that. But I want us as a church family to take a moment right now and pray over our friends. So Spirit of the living God, we pray comfort over Alice, comfort over Cameron and Carolyn, each of the grandkids here locally in our church family, over his sons and daughters and grandkids. We pray, God, would you pour out mercy and grace, comfort beyond words. And Lord, we trust you this morning, even as we're praying together and gathering around them, that you would be their comfort. Lord, I'm trusting you this morning as well, that anyone in the sound of my voice that needs to know your comfort and your care because of loss in their lives. God, would you come with the power of heaven? Would you be the friend that sticks closer to the brother than a brother? Would you nurture your people and shepherd us in these days? We trust you, Lord. And bring your word alive as we share our hearts together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's so great to see everybody and to be in the family room together. It's a big family room, but it's a family room. And uh, just a couple little family items. As you guys know, we are on this series on establishing 
a house of prayer, an incredible invitation from God. And a couple of things that uh, I'm doing with some of our other pastors is on Tuesdays at noon in the children's auditorium, we're going through the Lord's Prayer, teaching people how to have a devotional life, engaging it together. If you need a reboot on your devotional life, if you need to be stirred or you want to learn to really what it means to meet with God on a personal basis, we're doing coaching and training and literally walking that through together on Tuesdays at noon. Then on Thursdays, many people said, hey, I want to learn how to pray, but I don't know how to pray corporately. Well, we're having a beautiful time on Thursdays. We have an hour. Just take a lunch and come up and join us uh, uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then also on September, not this Tuesday, but a week Tuesday, we are having our annual fasting and prayer. Uh, come on. All right. That is. Oh, come on. All right. There it is. Yes. In Acts 13, it says the church at Antioch, that's us, was fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit spoke, and we can uh, com uh, consistently commit to lay aside seasons where you take a meal or a day or all three days. We'll be having a rally here on Thursday night, the 29th. Thought you guys would want to know that before next Sunday. I like to know when I'm not eating ahead of time, and so uh, please join us and plan on being a part of that together. Um, also, one last piece, a little prayer card. Everybody hold this up if you got it when you came in. This is going to be relevant today as we're going to be diving into this as a tool and a resource to learn how to pray. Again, please take that home and use that. All right, you guys ready to go? Well, hey, what I know about everybody is everybody likes to be near greatness. You ever had that situation when people are talking about famous people they know, and then you bring up that, hey, in my high school, there was a person who now is a famous movie star or a politician or a famous person, and then they, they ask you that question, well, were you there with them? Were you friends with them? Well, no, I wasn't there at the same time. They were in school, but we were really close, you know, kind of I'm close to them because it makes us feel good that we're connected to somebody of greatness. Um, George Bush, the two, he, uh, during his presidency, he had a ranch. He has a ranch still at Crawford, which is just 15 minutes from here. And I had a couple occasions to meet him in passing, nothing more than just a handshake and a line. And um, I got invited after his presidency to be the prayer guy at an event that was happening here in town. And I'm thinking to myself, well, he remembered me. And so he reached out by name, of course. And um, I got invited to this deal. And I'm thinking I'm going to be sitting at the head table with George Bush and some other dignitaries. But no, I find out that I'm in table 300 in the back corner uh, where I belong, of course. But that's where I was. And, um, and then it came time for the prayer. And they said, well, where's the pastor uh, from Antioch? And, Over here. And uh, they run the mic to me. And I do my prayer. Well, then, you know, at the end, in an event like that, everybody gets a picture with George and Laura Bush. And so they're coming through the line and Laura and I come through the line to get our picture. And of course, I know he's going to recognize me, thank me for praying, you know, all that. And of course he said, now what's your name, son? And uh, had to reintroduce myself. But if you saw the picture, if you see the picture of our house, you're thinking we're best friends. I mean, we're sitting there smiling with George and Laura to us. All right. And so, uh, but things like that, we get pictures to, again, try to identify or connect um, uh, to greatness. Uh, one other uh, event I went to was the Final Four basketball tournament, and I uh, got invited to a breakfast uh, early uh, in the week, and a lot of 
well-known athletes, past and present. And um, we got invited to a reception afterwards, which was a smaller reception. And I'm with a friend of mine, and he is just going crazy because he played college basketball, and he's looking around, and there's so-and-so, and Julia Serving, if you're older school, and different people like that. And so he's over there getting pictured with everybody, and I'm so embarrassed that I'm just saying they're talking to the person who invited us because he's so into being connected to the people, his heroes of the past. And then he has all these pictures up in his office as if they're his best friends. You know the deal, right? Well, here's the deal I want to say to all of you guys. You have been invited specifically by the God of the universe to a special meeting day by day, every day, unending, and he actually knows your name. He not only knows your name, you're a part of his family. Woo! You can claim royalty. You are connected to the greatest person that ever lived, Jesus Christ. You're connected to the creator of all time, God Almighty. You are his son or his daughter, and you are of the utmost importance to him. And he stops everything to give you time and attention. That's how valuable you are to him. Wow. Woo, I want to be near greatness. <laughs> and that is the great one. I remember in college when I started hearing this deal about quiet time or spending time with God, and I was asking around, what's that all about? How do you do that as a new believer? And a buddy of mine said, hey, never forget, it's not just about reading your Bible or praying. It's about meeting with God himself. He is a person. And I went back after that thought, and I said, okay, well, there's three guys I, got, I need to get to know. I needed to get to know God the Father. I needed to know Jesus the Son. And I needed the Holy Spirit. And that changed the trajectory of my life. That one encouragement would change the trajectory of how I would spend time with the Lord, would change the trajectory of what the goal was, and would build an intimacy that I rely on for every moment of the day. As we talk about prayer, we gave a definition. Prayer is union with God through praise, worship, and thanksgiving, and communion with him, walking and talking with him, and then partnering with him to see his plans come to pass. Prayer is that thing that God gave us, the ability to have a relationship, to walk and talk and listen and interact and communicate with him. Prayer was God's idea that we might have union and communion and then partner with him to push back darkness to see his rule and reign come into spaces and places that it is not. Man, I love God. Wow, what a wise God he is. All right. David would put it this way um, in Psalm 27, verse 4. We already talked about that. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty, the delightful loveliness, and majestic grandeur. Isn't that amazing? God is both lovely, <laughs> not, not a word I use very often, but lovable and loving, and he is majestic in his grandeur. And, uh, and I meditate on the Lord and, and meditate and inquire and consider in his presence. So I'm not only worshiping for who he is, I'm not only 
uh, exalting him for his grandeur and his beauty, but then I'm meditating or I'm inquiring or I'm considering who he is. So it's not just an intellectual exercise or just a discipline. It is also a relationship of inquiring and listening and understanding just like I would with any meaningful relationship. As you guys are very familiar with, one of the biggest deals in marriage to have unity, you have to have communication, and communication is called active listening, both verbalizing but also listening to what's going on behind the scenes and in the heart, not just the information being transferred. That was deep, and you missed it. Here's the deal. God wants to show you his heart, not just his deeds. All right. So that word in Psalm 27, verse 4, when it says, David said, I will seek him all the days of my life, is a unique Hebrew word that's only used in a couple of places. When David says, I am seeking you, it's the word means to crave or hunger or desire for pleasure. We all seek hunger, crave, and desire, all kinds of crazy things. But this one, David had decided all my cravings, my yearnings and desire for pleasure, I'm going to find in God. And therefore the things that he gives me, I can enjoy appropriately and rightly, and they won't have me. They will serve the purpose of God to seek him. Uh, Another central figure in scripture is the apostle Paul. Want to read this from the Amplified Version, Philippians 3.8. But more than that, I count everything as lost compared to the priceless privilege. we got to slow down on this. The priceless privilege, right? The greatest hero you want to know and be close to in this life is nothing compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage. Woo! If I just knew a billionaire, if I just knew a powerful person in politics, if I just knew a Hollywood star, I would have a privilege and an advantage. No way. They are so low bar compared to God himself. Supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. Man, verse 10. And this so that I may know him experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. And in that same way, experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows in his active in believers, and that I might share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Man, there's a lot there. And there is this deal that Paul is saying is, I don't just want to know him intellectually. I want to experience him him fully that I might walk and talk with him because he is advantageous to everything I'm about. And I not only want to know the power of his resurrection and all the good stuff that he does, but I also want to know him and fellowship with him in his sufferings because in our pain we find his comfort and in that comfort we find grace. And in that grace, we're able to not only get ours, but we're able to give grace away to others. Wow. All right. Union and communion. And then there's the partnership of prayer. Again, very familiar passage, but I want to read it a little slower today. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you. 
Well, I messed up the plan of God by going my own way, doing my own junk. Does God still have a plan for me? <laughs> it's called the resurrection. Uh, God has a new plan A, no matter what you did with the original plan. God is able through his resurrection to create grace and a fresh plan forward. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to good people. Doesn't mean that life is not challenging. Doesn't mean that life is not a mystery at times. And it does seem like there's calamity around us at different times and different occasions. But God's saying, I know the plans I have for you. Welfare in the midst of calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. So here's the door opener. God's plans are good. Now I'll come and pray to him. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you. As we've often said, if anybody's an extrovert, it's God. He's not hiding. He wants to be found. Now, the interesting word about this Hebrew word, seek, which is different from Psalm 27, 4, this Hebrew word, seek, means that something is lost and I've got to find it. Wow. So when we are seeking God with all of our heart, according to his plan and purpose for our life, we seek him because we have lost our way, we have lost our purpose, we've lost our plan, and he's saying, seek me, and you'll find not only me, but you'll find the purpose and plan that you were created for. Listen, you don't want your own plan. You don't want your own way. You don't want to do your own thing. You're made in the image of God. God has a purpose and a plan for you. He has good work for you to walk in. You want his plan, his way, and you get it by seeking him that you might find him because he wants to be found, and then he wants to tell you through your seeking where to go, what to do, and what his plans for you are. Man. I want to pray. <laughs> Union, communion, and partnership for the glory of God. So where are you today in your own prayer journey? You may today feel far from God. I feel like God's a million miles away. And can I let you know, God sees you and he knows. He understands for whatever reason you got here. But through the precious blood of Jesus, he opens the door again through grace, that you might come to him and let him come to you. You may say, I feel weak in my prayer life. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to pray, but it seems like they're just falling on deaf ears. I, I, I feel like the heavens are brass, as some, what some people talk in that term. But listen, however weak you are, every weak prayer counts. God, I don't know, but help. Wow, that's powerful. Help is probably the most powerful prayer we got going, right? Every weak prayer counts. And as we lean in to learn from him, even our weak prayers become more powerful because he teaches us in our humble attempts to cry out to him. It says in Romans 8, 26 and 27, we don't know how to pray as we ought, so God gives us groaning too deep for words because we don't know how to pray. Sometimes this is powerful. Ah! <laughs> You say, I don't know how to pray. Ah! Okay. If it's directed towards God in humility and desire, God even takes the groanings and meets us by the Holy Spirit. 
You may feel foolish or embarrassed. Hey, I've been around church all my life and I still don't know how to pray. Can I just say, hey, welcome uh, to the fellowship of the week. (laughs) Everybody at times gets lost in their prayer life and that is why God is teaching us to pray. That's why he is helping us along the way. So wherever you are today, it's a new day. And God's inviting us back in again or for the first time for us to understand and to know him through word, worship, and prayer, to have union and communion with him, and then to have partnership with him, not just individually, but as families and life groups and as a larger community, he will establish a house of prayer in our lives. Well, in our desire to learn, again, I want to follow some familiar passages. The disciples wanted to learn how to pray. And it says in Luke 11, to review again, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, everybody's certain place, Jesus had a place where he prayed. After he had finished, or I put in parentheses, after Jesus had his quiet time, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this. Now we'll shift over to Matthew 6, which is the more fuller, robust clarity of what is known as the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, let's read it together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hey, you just prayed really well. I don't know how to pray. Hey, you just did. (laughs) Jesus said to his disciples, you guys don't know how to pray, so let me tell you how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is both prescriptive and descriptive. It's prescriptive in the sense of I can pray each of those individually. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and I'm worshiping God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm seeing the rule and reign of God released as I'm praying into situations. I can pray prescriptively each of those prayers. But more than anything, it's descriptive of a more robust invitation to understand how to pray. And we're going to be unpacking that through all of our life groups. We're going to be unpacking it on Sunday mornings. The Lord's Prayer is the, is the way that Jesus described in detail how to pray. That's why we gave you this little card. And if you don't know how to pray, literally you could just go down it and just fill the blanks in for the needs and the prayers. And as you do that, you'll be strengthened and the Holy Spirit will expand for you God, uh, the, the understanding of prayer because he has made you for this by his grace, and he's given us the way to pray, or a way to pray, the central way in Scripture. All right, well, listen, they came to Jesus because they had seen the power of his prayer life. Jesus not only would go away to lonely places or go away to certain places and pull away from the crowds at different times along the way, they would see him 
with the Lord, but they also saw the power of his life. His union and communion with the Father was amazing. And on the moment when a demon would come out, he would say, be gone, and the demon would be gone. A one-word prayer, be gone. Someone would be sick, he would say, be healed. The power of that declarative prayer and the sick were healed. There were lepers who were cleansed, and he would tell them to go and wash, and they would be cleansed, or he would literally pray for them, and the leprosy would be gone. People in their minds were, were freaking out, uh, had depression, oppression. He would literally just be still. He'd speak to winds. Amazing prayer life, right? And so they were drawn to him by what they had seen, and I, I just want to just encourage us again, the life of Jesus is a worthy study in the life of prayer because he has called us to be and do exactly the same as he did by the Holy Spirit. It says in Mark 1.35, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Everybody say, in the morning. In the morning, in the morning, Jesus would get out, go to, a lone, go to a secluded place, would seek the Father, and would come back with great power. The psalmist says this, Psalm 5, verse 3, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. Everybody say, in the morning. Psalm 59, 16, but as for me, I will sing of your strength. Yes, I will shout joyfully, sing of your loving kindness. In the morning. I like that. You were a little more perky than the 9 o'clock. For you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. Hey, you want a stronghold? Make it God. Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. We'll change it. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Psalm 90, 14, oh, satisfy us with your loving kindness that we may sing for your joy and be glad all our days. And the morning time is that place where we get the high ground in word, worship, and prayer. We literally put down roots and we put our hands up high and we say, God, I am yours. I need you. You simply can pray the Lord's prayer back to him and establish his rule and reign in your day. That can be five minutes. It can be an hour. It can be two hours. But whatever that God puts you on the journey, First thing in the morning is the number one way that it is prescribed for us to pray, though it is morning, noon, and night, though it is abiding, and so many other things. And you know what happens is a lot of times in at least American Christianity, I need to say American because this is not what's happening in the rest of the world. In American Christianity, the pastors usually start making excuses or why you don't have to do it in the morning, and I understand, and I'm a night person. And let me just say, no, do it in the morning. I, here it is. Uh, excuses become strongholds for the enemy to keep you from the purpose of God. We can empathize. We can understand. You're not a morning person. I'm not a morning person. This, that, and the other. But excuses are the place where the enemy creates strongholds to keep us from the purpose and destiny of God. And again, whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour and a half, whatever it is, get with God at least for a moment. We need you to. We need you to go to work in God, not in your flesh. Your family needs you in God and not in the flesh. The world needs you in God and not in the flesh. And there is joy in it. Satisfy in the morning. 
Man, I don't have to spend time with God. I get to spend time with God Almighty. And he promises to meet with me by his grace. So they come to Jesus and they ask how to pray. And he tells them the Lord's Prayer. And the first little part's all we're going to get to. Actually, we're just going to get to the first sentence today. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So they come to Jesus and Jesus takes them to the Father. Whenever I come to the Lord's Prayer, I always meditate on the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus because that is the door into the Father. I can't get to the Father unless the blood has covered my sin and made a way. Here's what Jesus said about himself. Very familiar passage, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, through Jesus. Jesus said this about himself in John 10, verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Isn't that awesome? He is the door into the throne room and into the Father's arms morning by morning. So we come by the blood. In the Old Testament, they would have the brazen altar would lead into the temple, the place where they would meet with God, and that was a place of sacrifice, a lamb or a goat. It would be sacrificed. The blood would cover the altar so that the priest could go in because no one could enter the presence of God without the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, before uh, the sons of Israel were released from Egypt, they put blood over the doorposts of every home that was an Israelite so that the death angel would pass over because of the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no sacrifice for sin. So Jesus came and became the Lamb of God, allowed himself to be nailed to a cross, his blood to be shed, so that our sins would be covered so that we could come to the Father unhindered. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also died for sins once for all. Everybody say once for all. Once for all. Done. Woo! The just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. <laughs> How do we get to God? Through the blood of Jesus, we, we are being brought to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Hebrews 10, 19-22, Therefore, brethren and sistern, you missed the joke, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Woo! The invitation has been given. The door has been opened, and all we have to do is walk in. Man, I'm just so excited about that thought. It's just beautiful. And the riches of the glory of Christ that are unsearchable become obtainable by the, our pursuit and seeking of him. All righty. Well, hopefully you're stirred. Hopefully it's clear biblically. Now we're going to do it. We're going to actually do this together. James Mark, come on out. And what I'm going to do is we're going to go through a couple of key passages that I have done hundreds of times in my own devotional life. We're going to come uh, through the blood of Jesus by meditating on Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. And then we're going to 
Come to the Father through Psalm 139. We'll sing a little bit in between. You'll get the hang of it, but I want you to switch gears from listening to leaning in. And whether you feel incredibly weak today and worthy or whether you feel um, unworthy, wherever you are on that spectrum, His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is present. It's present. It's here right now. Wherever you are listening, His grace is sufficient. His blood is enough. He's made a way. We can put the scriptures up on the screen. What I find is as we kind of begin to go through these scriptures, I'm going to make a couple of marks about God himself and his promises to us. And as it stirs your heart, just make those prayers. And if you just need to close your eyes and listen, you can listen. But what I'm taking you into is this is how one of the ways that I spend time with Jesus, I, I exalt him, I honor him, and then I just come in through the word and let it wash over me and let it wash over us. Surely our griefs, he himself, always circling God, he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. In your mind's eye, you might just close your eyes right now, just picture the cross and Jesus hanging on the cross for you and for me. Our grief and our sorrow. What grief and sorrow do you have? What anxieties? What loss? What pain? Where? Surely, our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Would you just come and unload your sorrow onto the cross right now? Surely, our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We didn't understand, Lord. But he, Jesus, was pierced through for our transgressions. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell We look to the cross. We give you our grief and our sorrows. And we come. You were pierced through for my transgressions, for all of our transgressions. You were crushed for our iniquities. Your chastening happened for our well-being because all of it fell on you. This is where I often picture in my mind when they pierced Jesus' side, the blood and the water flowed, and I often just either on my knees or just sitting there, just let the blood and the water flow over you. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind, whatever guilt and shame and anxiety you feel, let the blood and the water from the side of Jesus flow over you right now. Thank you, Lord, for the cross blood in the water that's flowing right now. And by his scourging, we are healed. Another version says his stripes. And again, just maybe with your eyes closed, if you can picture when Jesus was scourged, when 
they lashed him 39 times and ripped the skin off his back before they put him on the cross by his stripes, the scourging, every one of those that he cried out in pain, he said, heal them, Lord. Heal them, forgive them, heal them, rescue them. And by those stripes, we are healed. God, we thank you that you allowed yourself to be beaten and scourged, that we might receive healing. So Lord, let the healing waters flow through the cross in mind, in our hearts, and in our physical body right now. All of us like sheep, we've gone astray. Lord, I've gone my own way too often throughout the day. I go my own way. I drift outside of the beauty of your grace. Each of us, we've turned to our own way. But the Lord, but the Lord, but you, Jesus, have caused the, our iniquity, the iniquity of us all to fall on him. In my mind's eye, I picture again that tabernacle picture where the priest would lay hands on the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and they would impart the sins of the people onto that lamb. And then that lamb would be slaughtered and the blood would be shed so that they could enter into the throne room. And Jesus, thank you for being that lamb. And so I transfer the weight of my sin, past and present, and even future. I just thank you, God, for taking the weight of my sin that I might freely come, that I might freely come to the Father. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And then I just do the same.
our Father. <laughs> Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to cover my sin that I might come to you and jump into your arms. And then I'll take something like Psalm 139. And you might just, again, go with us. You might open your eyes. And this is the Father. David describing the Father. Oh, Lord. Oh, Father. You have searched me and known me. (laughs) You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Wow. Thank you, Father, that you know my name. Thank you, you've searched me and know me. You know where I'm going and what's going on. And you've pursued me over and over and over again. You're a God who is present, and you're a God who loves You're not a God who sits in the stands, but you're one who walks the field with me. Thank you, Father. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot obtain it. When I went through clinical depression for 18 months, really grasping to try to mentally stay focused and stay contending day by day, I remember I would meditate on this psalm every day for 18 months. He enclosed me behind him before, and in the middle of it, somebody came and prayed over me. They prayed this scripture. They said, God's enclosed you behind him before. You're not going to go over the cliff because he's the one who keeps your boundary. Woo! He's the boundary keeper. He's the boundary keeper. He will hold you behind and before by grace. He's enclosed me behind and before. Where can I go from your spirit? We've talked about Jesus. We've talked about the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the now of God. He's the one administrating. He's the one wooing us. He's the one drawing us and revealing the Father. Where can I go or where can I flee from your presence, God? Your presence is here. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in other words, for hell, if I make my bed in hell itself, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Woo! God, even if I feel like I'm in hell itself, your right hand will hold me. Got to put a smiley face here, right here, right? Praise the Lord. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the night around me will be night, even darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Had a friend that dealt with depression all their life. And I remember him saying, I had to learn to get comfortable in the darkness. Woo! Comfortable with God, even in the darkness, because he is present. Wow. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, 
your unformed substance, even before you were, God saw you and knew you. And at conception where life begins, then that beauty of God began to be celebrated for what was about to be birthed into the world for the glory of God. You are not a mistake. You are wanted, desired, made by the hands of God in your mother's womb for the glory of God. You have a father who sees, who knows, who cares before time, before conception and through conception unto birth and you are alive today by the hand of the father. You know the days that were ordained for for me before there was yet one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. Your thoughts, they're precious to me. How vast is the sum of them. I don't know what God thinks about me. It's greater than you think. How many great thoughts do you think God has about you? It's beyond what you can think. How vast is the sum of them? He says, if I could count them, they're outnumbered the sand on the seashore. Whoa, when I awake, I am still with you. Woo, God, God cares. He knows. He sees. He's a father who creates. He's a God who cares. He's a God who oversees. And whether we go through darkness or whether we go through light, he is with us and he promises to be with us until we see him face to face. You have a good, good father. And that's where you cue up the Spotify good, good father. You point to James Mark and you say, hit it. Good, good father. Come on. Stop you from getting help this morning. 